Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So we are going to talk today just a little bit about grain bin preparation. And whenever I think of that, it just kind of takes me back to when Darren and I were kids on the farm and had to go in and clean out some grain bins. Um, not necessarily the most fun job, because a lot of times when we're doing it, it is late summer, like well, it right better, now. It's better than scooping manure most of the time, so it wasn't wasn't all bad. <laughs> you know, uh, so just as a sideline note. Plus the cleaning out, Brian, the bin is already mostly empty, so at least there's some air movement. It wasn't quite as hot as it as it sometimes was, and there was more grain. Okay, there. so Darren and I had to scoop manure, hog manure, by hand, uh, twice a day for seven days a week for years. And so anyway, every once in a while I'm talking to my wife about, um, you know, just something she wants us to do or whatever. And most of the time, you know, it's all fine. But anyway, every once in a while there will be something where I'll just I'll, br- I'll bring this up and I go, look, if there's something where I'd literally rather go out and scoop hog manure for hours than do this other thing here, that tells you how much I dislike this other thing here. Okay, And I'm not going to compare grain bin preparation to that too too much, but it was really hot in the grain bin some days. So my number one piece of advice if you're doing this is do it in the morning hours when it's not so hot inside that bin, but it's got to get done. If it doesn't get done, then all that, all those dollars you have for grain, they're at risk. And we're looking at almost double the commodity price this year for like for corn and soybeans and wheat than we had about a year ago today. So it's a lot of dollars in many of these bins. We just tell you before you put anything in any bin, make sure it's not only been checked, but it's been thoroughly checked and thoroughly cleaned. And you make sure everything's actually running in there. Check for the check the bin. Make sure you got no holes. Make sure everything is. Uh, working with your fans and all the stuff. So day one, you can put the put the grain in there and it's in good shape. Oh, and the other thing is use a couple modes of action for insecticide inside and right outside the grain bin to kill off any of those bugs that could be a problem. So we'll talk about grain bin preparation throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. Very fine print here, Brian, on some soil tests sent to us from Todd in central Illinois. And Yes, uh, it's really, really tiny print. Well, it's print. not Todd's fault that it got printed out so small like that. But, okay, let, let's just do nope, this. Nope, it's not. Right, so just, You don't even have to look at the test. I think we're going to get this just from Todd's description like, here. Yeah, okay. Okay. He said, first of all, these are Malik 3 tests. We're doing one-acre grids on more fields than ever. Uh, we've been using your... Uh, potassium base saturation formula to build potassium numbers up. That's been great. I'm wondering what formula I'd use with calcium and putting on lime to switch base saturation percentages. Would I just use the same formula as K? Yes. Okay. Then he said we finally, uh, having lots of high pH, high calcium, high magnesium soils, we finally have a field where we have low pH, low magnesium, and low calcium. And so I'm just looking at putting on either calcitic lime or dolomitic lime. When you've got 30% hydrogen in a 5.5 to 5.7 pH, yep. and you've got potassium, I'm sorry, you've got calcium in the 50s, and you've got magnesium around 9 to 12, 
Would you ever consider dolomitic lime, or do you think we're going to get a little boost in magnesium as well when we get rid of all that hydrogen? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, to be on the safe side, I'm probably just going to put on mostly calcitic lime in the beginning. Would I do maybe a little bit of dolomitic? Maybe a little bit. But here's the other thing. His cation exchange capacities are, are kind of variable, but he's got relatively heavy soil. It looks like fairly similar to ours. So you're talking 18 up to 30 roughly. And so it's, it's relatively heavy soil, which means you need a fair amount of lime. And here's the other big thing. It's going to take in a lot of cases, three years for that to fully break down and you to see that entire impact that you will. So I, I'm 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 still going to lean mostly toward calcitic lime, but a little bit of dolomitic might be okay. Now the other thing he asked about he asked about this formula. Let's put it this way, and I'll just keep this in pretty simple terms. What we talk about for potassium, for example, and raising the base saturation number. It's real similar to raising that calcium number if if everything is um, if let's say we ha- already have our hydrogen up without the hydrogen or, or I should say with with the hydrogen being reduced when the hydrogen's really high like if you're talking thirty percent hydrogen or something let's just focus on the lime for now and then we'll worry about oh what does the exact percentage shake out to be eventually because well, we can run some formulas, uh, and I'm fine with that. It's just that we don't know for sure how exactly everything is going to play out over a, this three-year period that I'm saying that lime might take to break down. So I'm not too worried about the calcium percentage. You're going to be in pretty good shape when you get that hydrogen number reduced off of 30. I'm guessing your calcium is going to look pretty darn good eventually, especially considering your magnesium is relatively low percentage-wise. But yeah, calcitic's probably still the way to go for the most part. All right. Thanks for the question, Todd. Really appreciate that. Uh, Get this one, Brian, from David in Michigan. He said, going to start to build up some of my ground. My plan is to spread 100 pounds each of P and K. My questions are, is that too little to apply to build soil? And if you're trying to build things up long term, do you want some sort of mineralizer type product or would it be just better to let the dry fertilizer break down over time? Okay. So, Our dad used to talk about his build program 40 years ago, and it was, oh, 100-100, and he was so proud of that, that that was a build program. Today, it all depends on what's your yield goal, just like it did back then. So if we're talking 200, like on our farm, we're going for 250 bushel corn average. Um, 0-100-100 doesn't even get us where we want to go just for that crop, let alone a build program. So now we're probably on... I don't know, 0300, 500 or something like that if we really wanted a massive build program. But yeah, you just have to look at what's your crop going to remove, put on more than that, and you're on a build program. As far as mineralization, I'm not super worried about it, but nevertheless, we're always trying to build up soil microbe levels. You do that by raising organic matter and just flat out raising better crops. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us radio at agphd.com. We just went through some soil tests and man, that's a great way to, to do it. Also, if you have pictures from the field and questions about that, that'd be awesome to see uh, via email and you can follow up with a call if you'd like to discuss more. Oh, I was just going to say scott from illinois called uh to say bin clean out dry corn or beans to 15 percent it's safer and cleaner uh, scott we take that one step further our dad used to talk about 13 percent moisture corn that we wanted to have that in the grain bin if we were going to store it to next summer if we were going to store it through next summer and potentially into the following year 12 percent to be on the safe side <laughs> so the the trouble with that is if you can sell 15 or 15 and a half percent moisture corn with no dock at the at the grain elevator you're you're giving up a lot of dollars if you dry it down to 12 or 13 not only the propane expense but or natural gas or whatever it is but then you've you've lost that shrink so that's why we've tried to be a lot more careful about that and using bin fan controls and everything and i'm with you i kind of want my corn right at that 15 and that's the reason why just so i have more dollars but you got to be monitoring it if you're not then 15 percent isn't going to work that's where getting down to 12 you have far less risk for any spoilage soybeans um you know we we really want to see those well under 13 11 or 12 again if if you wanted to store them with very little risk if you're going to store them at 13 especially if you were storing them at 15 you've got to monitor those things closely because beans can go out of condition even easier than corn in our experience all right uh 
Geronimo from Indiana also called to ask about decomp. Will that break down white mold sclerotia in soybean residue? Well, this is kind of an interesting idea. We've had, we well, first of all, uh, I know that product. I know it's not labeled for white mold control. So don't take anything I'm saying as saying that it's labeled. But I'll say this. When you have products that help break down residue, they can also potentially break down those sclerotia out in the field and perhaps reduce how much pressure you see going forward. I don't know. That's a very interesting concept. We've actually been trying that on our farm the last few years, and we've seen some things there. And it's just so hard to tell, though, because every year is different, and you just can never guess how much white mold pressure you're going to have. So it could be uh, one of those things year to year, but it, it looks like that's got some potential, Geronimo. Take a look at it on your farm and, and let us know what you find out. All right, let's get to the phone lines here. We've got Matt Miles with us right now down in Arkansas. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, doing well. Actually uh, shelling corn and running the grain bins as we speak. Outstanding. Okay, talk to us about this a little bit because in the north uh, we're blessed with a very cold season for about six months out of the year, but maybe not so much in Arkansas. I bet it's warm as you're harvesting. you got warm grain. How do you deal with that when, when grain's warm, conditions are going to stay warm potentially for the next few months? You know, actually, it, it makes it it makes it a little bit easier on us as far as the drying. We don't have to use as much temperature, uh, you know, on on the dryers. Even if we're drying just air dry, we can actually, you know, this is the first year that I've had a uh, an actual dryer, and we put in a big Nico four stage dryer this year, uh, and it's went absolutely amazing. But we can actually air dry. We can bring corn into the bins, put it about third of the way deep and and you know at 20 percent and air dry it and with with no heat or anything in in less than than five days so actually you know it's kind of it kind of sucks to be to be out there in the heat you know during all the the harvest but it sure does help on our drying only thing that gets us in trouble sometimes is the humidity if we're you know get some cloudy rainy weather sure Sure. How about insects, Matt? I know this is one of the concerns we have on our farm. We're always worried if there's even a kernel left in the bin from last year. It seems like that kernel probably had a bug on it and it spread in the bin. Do you have an issue with bugs down there? And what do you do to try and prevent that? We we fumigate the bins about three days prior to uh, to going into them, and uh, you know most of the time you know we'll we'll that that takes care of them for till till you get into the next spring you know after that that'll take care of them pretty much until you know it gets cold enough that they kind of go away and uh, and then uh, you know the next spring i always try to get my grain shipped out prior to march because you know down here uh march april may those those months the insects start coming back especially the rice you know you can't you can get by we, we go to chicken feeders with the corn so you can get by with a with a few bugs in in the corn, but rice is a whole different story because you know it's going as packaged goods. Right, right. Sounds kind of like sunflowers up here. We really have to be cautious. We don't want any any insects in the sunflowers. Now you mentioned your harvesting, Matt. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask how's the harvest going. What's uh, yield looking it's like? Going great. You know, with the weather and the uh, you know the problems we had with the flooding earlier. Uh, you know, we thought we was in serious trouble and we're, we're actually making, I'm going to say we're at our five-year average, if not just a touch above a lot of this corn that was mathematically counting out, you know, it's, it's, it's cutting 40 bushel better than what the math was showing. So that makes me feel like test weight. We've done a good job with our test weight. Very interesting. Yeah, you're right. We can be off and I, 
I like to tease Brian on our farm, Matt. He's the guy that keeps a spreadsheet from year to year about what his guesses were and what actual yields were. And he thinks he's pretty good at that. But, man, Tessway can really throw things off. You're right. You can do all the kernel counts you want. He might might not even be close. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's exactly what happened to us this year. Uh, you know, we had 12 days of cloudy weather during peak pollination, and we had that 19 inches of rain. And it just, the, it actually pollinated fine, but the end of the kernel didn't fill out. There was not enough photosynthesis, and we thought we was in serious trouble. And, and that, that corn plant recouped itself, which is not normal on corn. You know, once you have a problem with it, normally you can't correct it. But we had put some different foliars and stuff on it prior to pollination, and I think it made, you know, made a big difference. So we're, we're very pleased with what we're seeing right now. We're about a, about a third through with, with harvest, so... Uh, this dryer's run well. Uh, Lane's actually stomping around out there now. I can see him out the out the grain bin <laughs> office window. So something's not going right with it right now. <laughs> yep. Well, I'll keep you on the phone then for a little while. Maybe I can keep you out of out of some extra work. Uh, let me ask you though, what happens on these fields? It, here we are. We're middle of August. What do you do next? <clears throat> well, what we do is is Rob will come in and and his crew will will do our grid samples and uh and then after they do the grid samples we'll start applying our chicken litter uh you know and we we've got samples on the chicken litter so we know kind of what we're applying and then we'll we'll normally depend on if we're running no-till or conventional or minimum you know what the field what we're doing to the fields uh we'll cover that litter you know some sort of way and um then we'll just kind of set back at that point and and a lot of times you know because it's so warm here we'll ha- we'll have volunteer corn uh, so we'll have to, you know, uh, and, and then we've got, you know, pigweed, the palmer amaranth, so we'll have to come back and run one, one late application of, uh, of something to take care of the pigweeds and the volunteer corn. And then from there, uh, you know, cover crops or, or whatever we plan on doing for the, for the winter. Yeah, a lot of work yet to go, but boy, it sounds good to be a third of the way through the first first go around anyway with harvest. Talking with Matt Miles down in Arkansas. Matt, thank you so much. Hopefully nothing's wrong out there. Hopefully Lane's just just pouting about something, just waiting for you to be out there doing your share of the work. I'm not sure. I hope so. I appreciate y'all and thanks for calling. You bet. Thanks, Matt. All right, Brian. Uh, Matt made a couple comments there. He said warm temperatures at harvest can be used to your advantage. When it comes to drying corn, where you didn't have to put additional heat to the corn, just had to watch the humidity real close to make sure you're doing a good job running air through it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, we talk about that quite often. In fact, we just did last week. I was making the comment for me, my job on the farm during harvest for 20 years in a row was running our grain dryers. And any day that was warm and sunny, and it wasn't just the warm, it was the sunny part also for some reason, because that seemed to heat everything up as well. Um, I used a lot less propane. So it was really nice. I'll also say this, we have always run every single bushel through the grain dryers. Even when we're pulling it out of the field at 17% moisture, I don't care. Uh, we, when you have stuff set up, continuous flow, it's very inexpensive uh, to do this. But we just want to make sure that we are knocking out any aflatoxin, that we are getting the grain consistently dry, and then monitoring it afterwards. But yeah, with grain bin fan controls, we can do a lot of things now that we never used to be able to. We'll talk more about grain bin prep and get to you more of your questions right after this. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. We're talking grain bin prep on today's Ag PhD radio program. I know you're probably thinking, wait a second, Darren, this... This might be too early, but we already heard from one farmer on today's show that's harvesting right now. So even if you're in the north, harvest is coming a little quicker than you think. And it takes a little time, especially if you get grain in those bins, to get them out, get them prepped again for the next crop. Because you do need to do a little bit of work or you're taking a lot of risk. We've got our friend Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG on right now. Tony, you got your bins all cleaned? You all ready to go? I have got them uh, cleaned out, but uh, the uh, one of the things that uh, need to get out there and start playing with the wire and the fans and things like that, electricians are really hard to come by in the middle of harvest. Yes. So that's uh, that's one of my uh, my prep things are 
if I need him for something, I want to get him out there ahead of time. So we're kind of thinking that through. And then uh, getting, uh, I guess, the other components. Uh, is the spreader working? Uh, things like that. I hate to shovel. Um, uh, years ago when I was a little younger, it wasn't so bad. Today, not anything I want to be involved with. Hey, So there's... Uh, Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, I was going to agree with you on that point, too. I, I'd prefer not to be involved in that either. I, I had two questions, though, and uh, this week I had one from somebody in the Mid-South that was talking about just what Matt Miles was talking about earlier. I don't know if you got to hear him, but he's just talking about how air just works so good when you've got warm temperatures still to dry grain down, and, and he said they've had great luck. Had a farmer in Pennsylvania. He said, you guys are always talking to that Tony guy about bin fan controls. We don't know anybody around us that has them. Uh, can you maybe just explain bin fan controls just a little bit? And if somebody says, hey, I got a month before harvest, I still have time to get this done, and I can still get an electrician, uh, what do I need to know? Okay. The, um, the, 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 quick, uh, the quick scenario on it is that uh, right now we've got a lot of dry air, like you're saying, warmer dry air. What uh, I'm assuming uh, they're probably out there maybe working on their beans already. They're taking them out a little bit wet. We're going to try to get them down to 13, or let's just say we're working with uh, some corn and we're going to bring it down to uh, 15%. We're going to look at uh, our uh, our charts, our equilibrium uh, humidity moisture charts. On uh, beans, the number that's always in my head is, is uh, 68, and if you're looking at average temps, corn has a little bit different chart, but in fall temps, as it turns out, corn is also 68% humidity. So when drying, to not over-dry, especially for corn, because you can't put moisture back into corn, the, uh, I always look at the bottom working moisture I want to be as about 67, 68, so I don't over-dry. Any moisture in the air that is drier than the moisture in the grain is going to pull water out of the grain and dry it down. So if we're uh, dealing with uh, corn that's at, uh, say, 17, 18%, and I'm going to... The oh, I thought I had a corn chart here. I didn't have one laying on my desk. The uh, that's going to have a, a uh, equilibrium humidity up around eighty. So anytime the uh, outside moisture is less than eighty, we can run our fans. The bin fan control is just going to look at what we've set in and turn the fans on and off to optimize useful air. It's not going to blow ninety percent air in there. That's just going to add wetness, moisten up beans if you had beans in there. It's just going to add wetness to your corn. So we're going to keep in that, that band that's useful and then uh, not over-dry on the bottom. On beans, uh, we can use it to dry using that same scenario. Uh, on the opposite end, adding moisture back, which to me, adding moisture, it's easier to add moisture than it is to take it out. Uh, when you're taking it out, you don't like to overshoot your target. When you're putting moisture in, my outlook is we can be sloppy. Uh, the... Uh, if we've got 9%, 10% moisture beans, we've got an equilibrium humidity in the mid-50s, uh, I'll run my fans up to uh, 85%, 88% humidity, wet air blowing in. Don't go too wet because that uh, people talk about wet air will plug the floor. It will. 90 100% moisture air will plug the floor. It'll swell them so fat and plug it. So cut it off at uh, 87 88 maybe if we got a big fan and uh as we're walking that moisture up we'll just keep setting the the bottom end on our uh, our end zone your fan control 
up again. We're going to look for that target of 68, but with beans, we're wetting them. So we'll push them slightly past. We'll put a little bit of wetter air in there so the beans can suck that moisture out. So we'll go up to about 69, maybe just under 70. So those beans can suck that out and we'll fill them right up to our target of 68. Uh, but it's beans, I'm just always, uh, when you got a monitor and you can watch it, I'm always so surprised how much they can, they take it in so quick if you've got moist air. But on the other side of that, look what they do at night in the field. Yeah, you yeah know, we'll, exactly, exactly. That's that's a great way to put that because we see, oh, man, they're always picking up moisture and I got to wait. Why? Well, look what the humidity is. Look at the dew situation, all those things going on. Uh, Tony, I uh, really appreciate really appreciate the, the quick update on this. I want to talk more about this, though, uh, in the coming weeks because we have so many questions about how to do this exactly right on the farm. Uh, talking with Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Of course, you can find more details. Just go to his website, farmshopmfg.com. Thank you, Tony. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. You too. I got Garrett Groves with us right now. And Garrett works with Central Life Sciences and really focuses a lot on how do we take care of grain? Because uh, first of all, Garrett, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I was just going to say that the thing that scares me about this is we lose so much every year to insects in our bins how big a deal is this because i know i've talked to farmers say oh no i never have a problem but i think almost everybody's come across a problem at one time in their life so to quantify it to put a number to it on a typical year u.s producers lose 2.5 billion dollars of potential revenue to insects wow wow yeah, that's, that is scary. Okay, so talk to us about this a little bit because we see it in, in dockage at the elevator. Certainly we, we lose weight when they're, they're eating up our grain and so forth. What do you do? How do you stop them, and how do you make sure you just don't have that problem on your farm? I, I think first and foremost, you know, being proactive is, is definitely one thing that I really preach to my territory is Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, be proactive. Don't wait till you have a problem and then try and figure out, well, how the heck do I turn all these bushels to treat it or try and find somebody that can phostox them because those guys are, they're getting few and far between the guys that are able to do it anymore. Um, we recommend pre-treating bins with a product called Diacon IGR Plus. It's a two-component product. It, it has an IGR, Diacon portion, and then it has Sentinel, which is an insecticide. So not only are you going to kill any adults you have in the bin, but you're going to get the eggs that they may have laid too, so there's not a second generation. Yeah, when you mentioned IGR, you're talking insect growth regulator, which which is fantastic. So, okay, you treat the bin up front, and that's something we do every year on our farm. I, I think that's really important. Uh, what is, what's new this year? You, I know you're always coming with new things. Uh, have you got anything new that you're, you're excited to talk about? So... We did roll out a new product this spring, and I've got a couple uh, folks uh, in my territory on board now. I know bordering territories as well. The product is called Insulux, and Insulux is a fogging product that actually has three components, uh, Diacon IGR, as we talked, Crop Spray, which is an insecticide, and PDO8, which is a synergist. So not only are you going to get your adult insects, but you're going to get anything that may be resistant as well because uh, what the PBO synergist does. Right, right. Okay. Um, when when we think about that, it, 
three in one. This is kind of the same thing that we're doing with everything in crop protection out in the field, too, just trying to come at any of these problems multiple ways. And the worst thing, like you mentioned, being proactive is great. But let's just say that we run into something where we get a bin and we're starting to fill it up and realize, oh, no, we've got a problem out there. Is there something we can do after harvest? Well, the, the biggest thing is, is figuring out what insect you have an issue with, be it weevil or be it red flower beetle. Um, you know, we have a product called Sentinel. If you don't intend to store very long, you can turn those bushels, put them in a pre-treated bin, treat it with Sentinel, and you're going to get upwards of 12 months of residual, and that's going to kill all your adults. If you intend on storing it or you don't know when you're going to market it, we recommend Diacon IGR Plus, as we talked about for pre-treating. You can also treat grain with it. And then that, that gives you the Diacon aspect of it where you've got that residual there. That's a that's an important thing. Now, we're talking with Garrett Groves again with Central Life Sciences. Garrett, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. 
makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. If you've got any questions for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So right before the break, uh, we were talking to Garrett with Central Life Sciences, and he mentioned the product Sentinel. And I, so Darren and I were joking during the break because I, I couldn't remember how to spell it. And so let me just throw this out to you because when you hear Sentinel, you, you start thinking uh, it starts with an S. Well, this product actually starts with a C. It's C-E-N-T-Y-N-A-L. It's got delta methrin in it. That's the same as the old desis insecticide. Um, so it is a pyrethroid. And then the other product that he was talking about there, Diacon, there, there are like three different versions of Diacon, but that is a little bit different. So anyway, if, for more information on their products, that company's products, uh, you can go to their website, bugfreegrains.com. Again, that's bugfreegrains.com because they get a few different good options there that I'd encourage you to check into. All right, so in terms of this grain bin preparation, there are a couple last things that I wanted to mention, in part because you might not think about this one. Kill the weeds outside your grain bin. I talked earlier about kill the bugs outside the grain bin in addition to inside, but kill the weeds around there too, because the bigger the weeds are, then the more problem you could potentially have inside that grain bin, because weeds sometimes can be a little bit of a host as well. So like for our farm, um, we typically have the weeds under control around the bins. We just have grass. But even the grass, we're making sure that we've got it trimmed up nice around the bins. So then we have fewer problems with everything from insects to rodents. I'd also say before you put grain in this fall, install and inspect all your safety devices, whether that's ladders or any any type of harness system you have in there or anything else. You know, hopefully you don't need a lot of those things. Um, but unfortunately, there are grain bin accidents and tragedies every year. So we would just really encourage you do everything you can to make that grain bin as safe as possible. And of course, the best thing you can always do is use the buddy system. So if anybody ever has to get in a bin when there's grain in there, you've got another person that's right there monitoring them constantly. We just don't want to have any accidents. Um, I, I would tell you again, in terms of preparing that grain bin, it really starts with a great inspection and then sweeping out every possible old bug, a uh, piece of dirt, piece of grain, anything. You want that bin as spotless as possible on the inside. And the better job you do with that, the fewer problems you're going to have later on. Uh, Tony Wendler talked a little about grain temperature. That is really important. So we're in a cold area of the United States. So obviously we could freeze the grain. I don't know that it's necessary to completely freeze the grain, but we do know this. When you get that grain temperature low, let's call it 35 or 40 degrees, then the odds that mold and bugs, the odds that they're going to be a problem are really pretty slim. So yes, getting the grain cool, not necessarily freezing, but very, very cool, 
that absolutely helps out a lot. It's just you got to be really careful then in the spring when things warm back up about trying to reduce the condensation and the potential spoilage that comes from that. So that's why it's good to get let a little air in, a little more, a little more. And again, you could do this fairly easily with automatic bin fan controls. All right, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, this one comes from BK, not Burger King, uh, but BK. And he said, I'm in Kansas. I have put on 15 tons of cattle manure ahead of my wheat crop. I need 180 pounds of nitrogen. It says I've got roughly 12 pounds per ton of first-year available nitrogen. Well, that would be 180 pounds of nitrogen. I'm shooting for 80 bushel wheat. So on paper, that should satisfy my needs. Now, I feel like this is a little misleading. I'd like some feedback. Is there anything <laughs> else I need to be looking at? My typical program is to spread dry fertilizer pre-plant, then top dress in the spring at green up with 10 gallons of 28% and 2 gallons of sulfur. Okay, here's why it it does seem a little misleading. And we've talked to farmers about this for years. They say comments like yours, and let me let me be even more concise, that the estimated first-year availability has to be wrong because it doesn't seem like my plant gets enough nitrogen. Look, I believe that the, the estimated first-year availability is probably pretty darn close. But what we often think as farmers, we look at that number, and I'm guilty of this a little bit too, and I think, oh, that's what's available today. No, they didn't say that. They said that's what's available within a year. So in other words, if some of that nitrogen comes available next October, does that help you out a lot? How about September? How about even late August? No. So this is why you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt and say, you know, I realize they say I should have 180 by the time I'm all said and done, but I'm probably going to figure on the conservative side, maybe it's 120 or so that this crop could actually use at the right time. So I don't know what the exact figure is. It's going to vary a lot depending on your area and depending on the maturity of, of corn you want to raise. So for example, we like to raise full season corn here. So stuff that is, let's say, 105 day, and it's going to finish just before freeze up in, in the late fall. Now, if you like to plant 85 day or 90 day corn in my same maturity, you're going to harvest way before me, which means that that the time your grain fill is occurring and the nitrogen, the last of the nitrogen is getting used, um, that might be a month before me. So I'm just saying it, it does depend a little bit on your planting date and the maturity and everything else. But no, I'm not going to figure that I got 180 for this actual crop. I might figure 120 to maybe 150 at the most. Was there anything more with that, Darren, or that, 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 was, that pretty much covered That it. was the question. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, this one comes from Wes, and he said, we bought an 80-acre property, and it's got 35 acres under a small pivot. we got a thistle problem out there we've been working on by right now, just removing the heads of the thistles so those extra seeds don't disperse. Uh, is this the best? A uh, couple of questions. First of all, is this the best thing I can do at this point? If I spray, it's not going to kill the germ, is it? Well, okay, when we start talking about spraying late in the season, is anything labeled? As an agronomist, and that's what Darren and I are, we're farmers too, but we're agronomists also, we can't tell you to do anything that would be off-label. And to me, that sounds like we're going to be talking off-label applications this late in the season. So that's my number one concern. Okay. Uh, he said what our plan is is... Oh, so anyway, yes, it is possible that you could damage the crop. Okay, we're going to do some soil samples. This, oh, I, I meant in the thistles themselves. 
Oh, uh, sorry. And yes, you could damage them. Even though the seed head is there, you could absolutely hurt the germination. It's just like we talk about all the time spraying Roundup, for example, on Roundup Ready soybeans. Well, there is a pre-harvest label. You don't ever want to do that for seed because it can hurt the germination. So you're not going to kill all those seeds on a thistle head, but you could absolutely hurt the germ. Okay. Uh, I, I would still pull the heads if you can. That would be a smart move. Yes. Okay. Especially said, since I don't think there's any product labeled. Okay. He says, I know from listening to you, I need to get good soil samples here to know what to do with the fields. So I'm wondering, should I do one acre grids the first year to identify potential problems or is it extra work and money spent? That's well, it question. is extra work and money spent. I agree with that. But we would like one acre grids at least the first time. So then you can try to even the soil out after that. Okay. And then he said, I also plan to do a farmer's market garden and water the rows through tea tape irrigation in the in the prep. Can I incorporate fertilizer underneath the plastic where these rows are going to be? Sure. This is sandy loam in western Nebraska. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's no problem. I'd also throw in there since you mentioned the since you mentioned the farmer's market thing. That means it's even more likely that those one-acre grids could really pay off, and maybe even smaller grids, like quarter-acre or something like, like that, because you have so many dollars at stake per acre, and even slight changes in fertility can mean a lot more total dollars in income. Yeah, thanks for that for that question. The other thing I'd just add to this is with no matter what crop you're raising, when you pick up a new piece of ground, you've got one shot here. Let's just say that he was going to go no-till forever. Here, Here's your shot to fix deep compaction, to, to build fertility levels up. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, and obviously all these things take money. But if you say, look, I never want to do tillage again, or I'm going to put down rows and I'm going to put down drip tape and I'm not going to be able to do certain things later on, absolutely get after it in year one and, and get it all fixed up uh, for years to come. Get back into more of your Ag PhD mailbag questions right after this. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. 
because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means we're taking your emails, radio at agphd.com, or your phone calls at 844-44-AG-PHD. So if you have a question, we don't have any callers up right now. You can get right in. All right, I'm going to get to uh, an email here in the meantime. We get this from Michael in Iowa, and he said, I recently purchased the family farm for my grandparents. It's currently in the CRP program, and in about four years it comes out. So I'm looking at my soil tests here and wanting an opinion where to begin. I know I need to do some work to build things up. I'm just wondering, should I start putting on some smaller applications now to spread the expense out over multiple years and make it less of a financial burden? Or should I just go ahead and put a whole bunch of fertilizer out there and lime the year before I want to farm it? Also, depending on which route you guys think, just wondering how much of each product, that type of thing, if you have time to calculate all that as well. Okay, so first of all, in terms of the financial burden, it's the same. So if you're worried about spreading it out versus doing it in one shot, well, just save some money and then you got let's, all that money let's for just four say, years from now. Let's just say that you made but, income this year and you could you could have more expense this year to offset some of that income and you think well, about for a tax for tax yeah. purposes, yes, that would be possible. But here's where I'm going. I wouldn't spend money on straight fertilizer if it was me. I wouldn't put more P and K out there or micronutrients or anything like that, most likely. What I would consider, though, would be soil amendments. So, for example, you got a little bit in here that's low pH, down in the fives. If it's in the fives, I'm going to put some lime on. And the reason why is because it takes three years for that lime to fully break down in a lot of cases. So, in, in other words, you could get this soil pH thing cleaned up before you start raising a crop, and that would make a lot of sense to me. On the flip side, you do have some that is really high in pH. So I don't know why exactly it's high in pH. First of all, let me just say I'm not looking at complete soil tests here. I don't see any micronutrients tested other than zinc, for example. Uh, so I, I would like to know what we've got for other things. Oh, and by the way, there's no sodium test either. So you got to test sodium and you got to test the micronutrients in part because some of those things 
could be part of the reason why your pH is high. For example, sodium raises soil pH 4 to 1 compared to calcium. So if you have high sodium levels, we'd like to get started fixing those soon, but I don't know if you do or you don't. Um, anyway, so that that's what I would say. Okay, in terms of the soil test information that we do have here and what needs to be fixed, potassium to me is number one. Your potassium levels in a lot of cases are, are pretty low. Now, you have some that's okay. You've got just a little bit that's four for four percent base saturation K. There's one test here that says 5.9, but you got a lot of stuff in the ones and twos. So that again, you know, doesn't have to be addressed now. That I'd probably wait for four years from now, but that's kind of up to you whenever you want to do things. But yeah, you've got really low zinc, you've got really low phosphorus, pretty low potassium, uh, very low sulfur. So there are definitely some things you want to address in the future. But if you could, um, I'd really like to see complete soil tests rather than the information I've got here. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. This one comes from Jim, Brian. He said, I'm not a farmer, but I always find my interest jumps when your Ag PhD segments come to air. I've got a field that's right along the Little Sioux River in northwest Iowa, and I'm losing shoreline. I talked to my farmer that does combining for me, and he made a comment because uh, I thought climate change was maybe causing more flooding. He said, climate change has nothing to do with it. It's because all the farmers north of you are tiling their fields today, and that provides a super highway for all <laughs> no. the rain straight into the river, like flushing a toilet. Nope, now, he said, I've heard, heard you talk about tiling, and I, I just wonder – what is the cause of these devastating effects? Are farmers concerned that it may be tiling? Uh, well, there might be some farmers that are concerned that it's tiling, but it's not tiling. In 2018 and 2019, we had the wettest years in history. And, I mean, we have yeah, recorded said, data said, all the way back to that. 2018 was the worst, and that they had more rainfall in 93 but well, you didn't they think the effect have. in 93 was as much. But. Yeah, they may have had more rainfall in 93, but not everywhere. Yeah, what about, yeah, what about upstream? Right, what we care about is upstream all the way to where it begins. So, you know, if you go all the way to northern South Dakota where this might start, for example, and I don't remember where the Little Sioux starts or where, wherever it starts, the point is, did everybody have excess rain? And let's not forget, basically, once you look at the continental divide north to south— Everything has to flow south. And even if it's not flowing in a river, it's flowing below ground somewhere. So when water tables are up, that also causes some of this issue. But here, here's the thing that a lot of people forget with the tile lines. When you put tile lines in, there will be less water running downstream. And you might say, what? No, that can't be true because I see the water. Yep, you might see the water. But what I'm saying is water moves whether you see it or you don't. It's still moving downstream. And why do farmers put tile in? They put tile in to get more yield. When you have more yield, you pull out more water. You don't send more water downstream. So if anybody ever wants to tell you, oh, there's more water coming downstream because of tile, you go, no, that's nonsense. We got higher yields, meaning we have less water going downstream. Now, the reason why we had the problem was 2018 and 19. We just had two back-to-back -back years where we set 
records for rainfall in the over 130 years of recorded history for rain data. So that's the reason why we had a big problem. And also, this is just a natural thing. If you don't think this is natural, go just just start reading up and studying how water flows and moves. So the only way to stop that erosion into a soil bank is to cement it. That's the only way you're going to stop it. You can reduce it by putting rock, and so that's why they do rock in a lot of areas. But, I I mean, this is just, this is the way things work. This is the way the earth works with water. So, I mean, how do you think the Grand Canyon got cut out? And, I mean, also you can look at some of the old areas where the river used to run and some of those old oxbows and stuff like that. Water just starts moving, it cuts, and then it creates a new path. It's just the way it works, unless we want to invest a lot of dollars to change it that's just kind of the way it goes so sorry i wish i had some you know better answer for you but if more people would tile there'd be a lot less water going downstream subsurface tile big positive above ground ditching that can be potentially a big negative so that's that's, correct that's something to think about Yep. yep okay thanks for the question we really appreciate that uh okay got three questions here we'll see if we have time to get through them all they're from hf who is a soil scientist in western australia first one is around nitrogen uh where they're at in western australia they've got two to ten for a cec and 0.5 to 1.6% organic matter, so lighter soils. What other approaches are there to variable rate nitrogen application at seeding or post? We don't think we've got enough organic matter to get a whole lot of mineralization. No, you don't. So you're, you're not going to get much nitrogen out of your soil. So what we're always looking for is what your yield goal really is for nitrogen application. So maybe that could be off an old map or something, you know, a yield map, I mean. But that's what I would do is I'd vary it based on what my yield goal is in each area of the field. Okay, next question is about phosphorus because they've got low CEC, low organic matter cells, and have a lot of buffering capacity. Yep, yep. And they've got a lot of iron, uh, reactive iron and aluminum in the soil that result in a high phosphorus retention. Just wondering, uh, do you use just the... The next year's yield map says your variable rate tool, or how do you variable rate the phosphorus? You variable rate the phosphorus based on soil test. Soil test isn't moving uh, on, on phosphorus. What I'm trying to say is phosphorus is stuck in your soil even though it's a light soil. The problem with iron and aluminum is only in low pHs. So if you simply get that pH up into the sixes, you're good to go. And if you're worried about a lot of tie-up, you can always band. That helps as well Absolutely. If you banded application. Yes. And last one, he said, uh, wondering about the difference in efficiency of using different sources of trace elements. For example, let's talk zinc. He said chelated zinc versus zinc sulfates versus zinc oxides. He says, my yep. understanding is an oxide's normally higher concentration but less efficient. Correct. Because of the size of the molecule and the fact that oxide's not a really good solution but a suspension. Yeah, chelate is the way to go. If you can, that's the most available. And plants will try to make nutrients more available by kicking out organic acids, otherwise known as chelating agents. So if that helps you understand it even more, when you hear the word chelating, that's generally speaking a really good thing. All right, thanks for the questions, HF. We really appreciate that. And and if you have more, sure, send them send them this way you mentioned that you're getting lots of moisture this year and you get huge yield potential that is awesome we, we haven't heard that a lot this year so we're really happy for for everyone in western australia thanks for listening to our program today be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.